Looking up to the right and the whole side is all ripping down, starting to rip down. You know, we don't want this to turn into Whistler. This is Wesley Craig, and this is the Avalanche Hour Podcast. Oh, hey, you're tuned into episode 5.4 of the Avalanche Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour Podcast is proudly presented by MND Safety, a global leader in avalanche hazard management, and our good friends at Ten Barrel Brewing. Drink beer outside. With additional support from Interwest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. I hope everyone is doing well out there and starting to gain some depth to the base of your snowpack, wherever you might be. I wanted to take a moment uh, this morning and talk about where I see this podcast going and, and give all the listeners some, some updates. I've always wanted more community involvement in the podcast from the beginning. I've, I've essentially said this is our podcast. This is a community podcast. I think one of the Avalanche community's greatest strengths is the broad spectrum of experiences that have shaped our collective knowledge of how snow and avalanches interact with the mountains we love. So I started asking myself, how do we tap into this? I'm always amazed by the network of interconnection between the people I talk to on the podcast. Each guest leads me to another guest, and each conversation lets me glimpse into a different perspective. I started thinking that maybe it would be good to have a different perspective from the person asking the questions, and so... We're going to start having some more voices on the podcast as as guest hosts. My hope is that this grows the podcast to a greater global audience, as well as gaining valuable perspectives from people different than myself along the way. Essentially saying that I'm um, pulling more people into the fold to share their stories and and share the stories of other people that they know. So this is where I'm steering the boat right now. I hope you still want to come along. And, you know, it's it's super exciting time of year when the snow is falling. For me, I've got a ton of content in the in the cache, as I call it, uh, for this for the upcoming podcast season. And I can I can honestly say that this is the hardest part of the fall is just sitting on all of these really good interviews and actually coming out with a release schedule. I'm sure it's a little bit frustrating for some of the guests to wait most of the season to hear their interview, Um, but I guess that's a good test in patience. So back in March, I got an Instagram message from Wesley Gregg up in Williams Lake, British Columbia, and he had explained to me that he just found the podcast and he was pretty stoked on on the content but he also explained to me that that he himself had been thinking about starting a podcast related to snow and avalanches and recreating in a winter environment um and so he started listening to more of the content and, and then he reached out and and um said he had a couple 
stories to share. And so we got on a hopped on a Zoom call and it was it was definitely in the early COVID quarantine days. Um, and as you can as you can hear from the recording, it was just a pretty relaxed conversation, but there there's definitely um, stuff going on at Wes's house, as I'm sure we can all relate to. So I've, I've taken some bits and pieces of our phone call um, and, and kind of chopped and slapped it together. And what I think the result is, is a really nice explanation of, of Wes's uh, progression as a recreational backcountry skier, you know, from a couple very impactful events during his recreational ski career to deciding that he needs to make a more systematic process of how he recreates with with his partners in the backcountry to deciding that that you know there is a lack of education in this community and so he he's looking to take the steps to um, be able to bring some avalanche education to his community so i really appreciate this conversation um, that we had and we talked quite a bit about a lot of different stuff from risk tolerance and how that changes in your career how having kids maybe changes that for people um, we talk about information sharing and how there are some barriers to that in um, embedded in small backcountry community ski ethics um, all in all it's just a really great honest reflection of somebody's ski touring career thus far in their life and how it's changed over time. This will also certainly serve as an introduction of Wes to the Avalanche Hour podcast community. And so you get to know him a little bit better because you will be hearing some more contributions from Wes throughout this season. Um, Think of him as our Canadian correspondent up in the great north. Um... I've been chatting with him today. Sounds like it's dumping in his hometown of Williams Lake. And I hope it's snowing wherever you are. Hope you're getting outside, staying happy, staying healthy, and uh, keeping things in perspective. So here we go with Wes Gregg. So so yeah, I'm uh, Wes Gregg, and uh, I have a recreational backcountry skier, aspiring avalanche instructor once i obtain my level one avalanche from the canadian avalanche association i you know become closely obsessed with avalanche education after being experienced and uh, or having the unfortunate experience of being involved in some incidents which have changed my approach and that coupled with having kids and just getting older. Um, I grew up skiing in northern Ontario and the background in freestyle skiing and was level two ski instructor, level two freestyle coach. Moved out west and to British Columbia in 2008. Live here in beautiful Williams Lake, British Columbia now, the foothills of the Caribou Mountain Range. And uh, yeah, one of the first incidents that started to shape a change in my backcountry behavior occurred um, a few days before the stag of my my wedding and uh, 
We were out in a zone that we've skied together quite a bit, a buddy of mine who couldn't make it to the actual stag, so we were doing just kind of a a trip together, and we were in a, a zone that we were pretty familiar with, and it was snowing a bit off and on throughout the day, and we climbed up some of the steeper stuff to get up onto some ridge, do some tree skiing, and did did a couple of observations on the way up, and made some decisions based on that, that, you know, we'd try to keep it pretty dialed back. And as we kept skiing through the day, we kept progressing higher and higher up the ridge because the skiing was so good. And it kind of kept snowing and the wind started picking up and it was snowing quite a bit. And as it was getting later into the day, we kept stepping it up and stepping it up and we decided that we would go up to the very top of this particular line, which kind of leads down through the trees into a small cliff band, and then off to the skier's right of the cliff band, you duck down into a chute that opens up into a nice apron, and um, a bit of a terrain trap off of the cliff band. The second cliff band is not really droppable. And as we got up into the top subalpine area, the visibility kind of turned on us a bit and a bit of a breakdown in communication as to where we were going to rendezvous and that was kind of the beginning of things that were starting to go south that day and so I finally uh, reconvened with one another I could sense a bit of tension from my ski partner and I was a bit frustrated the fact that we had gotten separated and weren't quite in the same spot so but Regardless, we decided to drop in and ski down towards this cliff band that um, I hadn't skied it before, so I wasn't going to drop it, but uh, my ski partner was, and so I kind of skied next to it just off to the right, and as I came around in through the little choke next to the right of that, I I triggered a slide and yelled up avalanche to my ski partner, and, you know, I was kind of standing on the, the crux near the landing, and you know, he pretty much just yelled, get the F out of my way. And uh, I thought something had happened and that he was coming at me in in some debris. So I didn't want to get caught in. I had no place to go except for getting ping pong balled through the through the trees. So I, I turned and, and went down the choke through the chute and out into the apron to turn around up my left shoulder and just see nothing but gear and a cloud of snow coming over the cliff band and that's when kind of my heart dropped and I skied down into the apron and starting to slow down but noticed that the snow had continued to slide in the apron so I skied out to the bottom where I felt I was in a safe spot started changing over quickly and and uh scans and then obviously just threw my pack back on and then started pulling my um my avalanche transceiver up, switch it to search right away, just yelling and yelling and yelling and scanning the debris pile for any signs of of um, of, of my ski partner. And, you know, I could see a ski sticking out, so that was obviously my the first place I was heading towards. And uh, finally, I mean, what felt like forever, um, you know, some coughing and 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 uh, yelling started to happen from my ski partner and that he was okay but appeared to be buried 
face down, kind of up to his waist, and he self-rescued and uh, made his way down the choke with one ski pole and just on his boots, and he reconvened and got his other ski and hunted around for his other ski. And, and as we, you know, discussed and made sure he was okay, his shoulder was pretty pretty hurt. He wasn't moving it all too much and we needed to get him back to the cabin and so he was short of pole, short of ski, so we limped him back and kinda you know, didn't didn't really understand what had happened at the time. You know, but there was definitely some animosity between the both of us at that time, you know, where we were both laying blame a little bit on each other and not really looking at the decisions and the things that happened leading up to that um, situation. And we kind of went back and forth on it until finally, you know, we both kind of agreed to disagree for, well, probably about two ski seasons. We kind of just opted not to ski together because we couldn't agree on, you know, every time we tried to ski together, we would end up in a discussion about that particular day. And it would usually end up getting pretty heated and, you know, not really agreeing. And as time went on, you know, I, I started to accept the fact that, you know, each individual handles situations differently. And, you know, I accept the, the decisions that I made that day. And, you know, what, what, whatever, you know, he needed to deal with on his side was up to him. And there was no way I was going to change any of that, but we were able to finally come to terms and and uh, become ski partners again. And and that incident really changed, you know, how he and I ski together now. You know, we take a much equal, more equal approach. You know, that day he put a lot of weight on the fact that oh well, you're the you're the one that has your level one uh, AST. You're the educated one. I'm going to trust your decision. Where. I was rolling by it's a it's a group decision it's it's for both of us to decide and but we never really talked about it you know we didn't we didn't talk we didn't talk about whether or not he was uncomfortable that day which I found out after he said he was and I was comfortable and but I was uncomfortable after we had an incident and then you know you just kind of let your ego get in the way a bit and battle that for a little while and and uh you know like i said luckily for us we were able to learn from that experience you know i know i did i can't speak for him but i can assume by the fact that we're still ski buddies that he must have learned something and been able to put things aside for himself as well and um and uh, we were able to move on and continue skiing together but wasn't super new, but I was probably only like six years into ski touring, seven years into ski touring, maybe. And so I wasn't, I hadn't gained the experience skiing with other people, let alone at that point, I hadn't had an opportunity to ski solely with some professionals. And I think that's what really opened my eyes was, was getting an opportunity to have a professional be like, dude, that's a, you're on the road to making a bad choice right now. Like, why are you doing that? And then you start to realize 
some of the bad choices that you made in the past that you got away with. You know, and that was definitely, definitely one of them. It could have been a lot, a lot worse. You know, would have been a big approach to get up to him. Um, it was pretty steep, and it would have been, it would have taken me some time. That's for sure. Was the one and only time that I've actually had to think about a rescue. And uh, fortunate for me, I haven't had to do that since. Um, but I've also been on the other side. Um, of that where I put my colleagues in that situation and, and, uh, and that for me was really the, the turning point in my recreational skiing and, um, and really just changed my decision making when you realize the amount of pressure that you put on your friends if you make a poor choice or well, no, lapse of judgment. A couple of years later, you know, I had a little bit more experience and went and did my AST level two with my wife and one of my ski partners at Soul Mountain Lodge and started to get a little bit more educated and we kindled that friendship with that ski partner and we started skiing together again and and we were in that same ski area, that same same not same zone but same same mountain. And uh there's this area that has two repeater towers for forestry and uh we often go up there and there's this nice big it's not super convex but when it's good it's good like it it rolls over and it's wide open and can it really fills in nice and it's generally can be really good fun skiing and then down into some trees and so we had made this decision to kind of skin up through on the ridge of the gully next to that curl around and then when we got up to the top where it was flat and started to roll over, we were going to dig a pit. And when I took my skis off and stabbed them in the snow, the whole snowpack settled. And so our plan B was to ski that, <clears throat> ski that, that gully. And we were feeling on, we, we discussed it on the way up. We were all feeling very confident that it was stable in there and, and it was going to be well supported. Overlooking, a couple of small features. Um, so we reverted and we're like, well, we're going to go ski this gully. And everybody was in agreement, and we changed over. And this is where I made one of the worst mistakes I've ever made as a ski tour. And I assumed that everybody was behind me. And I pushed off and I told them, I'm going to ski high right to leave room because there was a group of four of us so that we can all have some good snow. And as I cut in on the high right side, it's a bit of a convex roll into that, um, into that gully and then it, it curls up and then it's a big convex roll off to the right there. And on the second turn, I was like, I'm gonna push a little bit harder here and see like if it's gonna go, it's, it's gonna go within the next couple of turns and, and it went. And I hadn't really mentally prepared. I, I, I felt so confident that it wasn't going to go. I wasn't in the mindset of, like, do that cut and kind of cut away. So I'd already initiated my next turn, and that's when everything kind of just started breaking apart. And looking up to the right, and the whole side is all ripping down, starting to rip down. And 
So I knew that there was a high side and a left side, so I just pointed it to the left side and got up there and got out of it. And uh, yelling, yelling, avalanche, avalanche. And when I got up there, I turned around and looked around, and nobody was around except for my buddy's dog. And so they had no eyes on me, and I thought they were, like, hot on my tail, going to stop at the edge and watch. And so when I saw my first ski partner come over the edge, he's just screaming my name and looking around in panic. And I started waving my hands and he skied over to me. He's like, dude, like we had no idea where you were. Like we thought you were buried because that ended up being 30 centimeters, about 85 to 90 meters wide and ran for, 500 meters, 600 meters, and then came to rest in a bit of a terrain trap at the bottom where it flattened out. So he said when they first came around, I mean, their first thought was, Huck West is buried, you know, and that day um, I said to him right then and there, those guys, I was like, I want to go home. <laughs> I want to go home and hug my family. And, uh, you know, I had my son's first birthday was – two weeks before that. And uh, I was like, this is the last time I come home to my wife and my kids and say, so I triggered an avalanche today. And, uh, you know, I was talking to my wife about it the other day and she said, you know, the day you came home, like you were just like, kind of, like you were nonchalant about it. She's like, I never realized that it affected you that much and it took a while for me to realize that effect you know that you know i made a poor choice and i can't blame anybody else for what happened that day and uh and and you're just like things happen so quickly and you think you have it all under control and and then you just yeah moment moment of like lapse in judgment and, you know, I got away with it, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I don't want to get away with it anymore. <laughs> so that was definitely for me, like a turning point and a turning point to really start to focus more on, on educating myself and in doing that, making sure my partners are educated and, and opening lines of communication and not not getting tunnel vision to skiing powder lines or being the first one down um being an a-type personality a lot of times i was always taking charge and now i've i've been trying to dial that back and and being a little bit more open to everybody's comfort level and and not trying to push so hard and the one of the big we've changed. Uh, we're using radios now. Um, that's a big. That's a big thing. And just you know, making sure that we're all on the same page. You know, because that day, I made an assumption that we were all on the same page, and we, we were not. And luckily for my friends, they didn't have to deal with an incident. 
and you know I take full responsibility for what happened that day and you know you just you try to avoid that and since then we've been in situations where we've been skiing with uh, new partners and stuff like even this season and, and I try to carry that same communication along with them you know a new a new skier never skied with them this this winter and he had like one shadow of a doubt and I just told him, I said, you got one shadow and that's all we need, man. And we're not doing it. You know, all the rest of us can be okay with it, but if you're not feeling comfortable, then I'm with you. You know, we're not going to take this chance because we got to operate at the level of the lowest comfort, you know, the person with the lowest comfort, you know, and because it's not fair to put that pressure on, on, another skier or somebody else and uh but yeah just a lot more talking you know and a lot more open discussion about what it is we're going to ski and what the objectives are and trying to stick to those objectives instead of being like changing your mind halfway through and not really having a full set of information as to why you're making that decision you know i found it really interesting as i've been reading through and studying to do my level one operations you know like where you realize you know in the guiding outfits and you have your go no-go zones and you make that decision in the morning and and you just you don't change that you stick with it you know regardless you know if the sun comes out and it becomes bluebird that, that shouldn't change what your original plan and decision was just because the light might be right for a picture or, you know, you know, by all means, you know, do some observations and maybe make a different decision the next day, but don't dive right into it, you know, and don't make hasty decisions for certain. It's good. It's good skiing here. It's an interesting dynamic in this community. Mm-hmm. there's still a bit of that um kind of sacred community mm-hmm. want to keep, keep their stashes understandably some of them but some of the places that have cabins you know in the past we've put out videos i've put out some videos and stuff like that and i've had like you know the ski touring club president would be like you gotta take those videos down mm. you know we don't want this to turn into whistler well, that's the big, that's the big thing, you know, that, that's one of the things that just it, uh, some of my ski partners here are, are, are advocates and have taken education and then some of them are just don't and have no interest and, and um, sometimes it's hard, like you enjoy skiing with that person, but then you're like, oh man, do you really, do you really have my back? Mm-hmm. You know, do you really understand what what you need to do if something happens and that's something that's you know been a big part over the last few years that i've been thinking about which is why i want to get my level one operations is to teach ast because really there's no instructors in our area that are close by we always have to bring somebody in from quite a ways away which is you know time consuming for them and 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 costly and and, you know, it, it doesn't happen very often. So I think that's the other thing. I think if people had a better opportunity to access, you know, the recreational 
AST1, AST2 in the caribou region. I think, you know, people might educate themselves a little bit more and, uh, you know, get more comfortable with the decisions that they're making and understand. I think for myself, one of the biggest things is before I started really looking at, like, avalanche safety, I did a lot of things and you're just ignorant to what it is you're doing. Like, you just have no clue the risk that you've taken and you just got lucky. You know, like, it's not like you made an educated choice to ski a certain line or do certain things. You're just like, I don't know, it's all good. You know, my buddy says he's been skiing here for 10 years. This never slides. It's all good. So, you know, this never goes. And then you're like, but it could. <laughs> it's all good till it's not. Yeah, that's right. You know, <laughs> that's right. That's the big thing. You know, so over the years, you know, some I've I've walked away from some partners and yeah, we're still we're still buds and stuff like that, but you know, like nah, we're not good ski partners, so we're not gonna ski together and and uh you know and a lot of times the places that we ski are are places that yeah, people are super familiar with. They spend a lot of time there and you know, they'll go by last season's feelings and and not really do any any digging. It was good this year to see the core group of guys that I've been skiing with actually starting to look at things and and do some profiles and make some of their own observations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing we get pushed back from is uh, the use of the Mountain Information Network here. A lot of guys push back on that. You know, especially if, you know, myself or somebody else tags the exact location where you dug the pit. They get, some people get their hackles up Mm -hmm. thinking that you're letting their stash out of the bag. And I always try to say like, you know, I'm just trying to help the forecasters because there are none in our area. They have to extrapolate from operations outside of our area. And so it just gives them a little bit more information, you know? So I, I, I came to common ground where I was like, okay, well, I won't pinpoint exactly where I was, but I'll pinpoint the general vicinity, <laughs> you know, like a lot of times for myself, um, uh, when I'm skiing with a new group, like I did a couple times this year, some of them are a little bit late risers and having two toddlers i'm a bit of an early riser so you know i'll get up early in the morning and i'll be up on the ridge doing observations at eight or nine o'clock at the latest and sometimes they're still just crawling out of the fart sack and they'll make it up by the time i'm done observations they'll make it up and then i'll talk to them about it we'll all talk together and let them take a look and and see if they see the same thing and and then we all have a discussion so everybody kind of understands where we're all at throughout the day and and if we need to make adjustments or if we go to a different zone you know we all work together and try to do more observations and paying more attention to weather and that's the big one where i found i've made a lot of mistakes is not paying attention to changes in weather and temperature and you know and that's some of the things that um you know working with newer people or other skiers they may not be aware 
Well, it seems like you guys are doing a great job of like creating a conscious culture of good decision making and good communication. And I mean, what, what more can you do? Trying to stay out of avalanches, right? Yeah, and that's that's the big thing, right? Like that's what we there are a lot of discussions. There's a, there's a younger group that uh, we all hang with, but then there's also the older group. And, but we all try to work together, and, and you know, the big thing is. Uh, is opening the information up I find is is where we're really struggling in our community where people don't are afraid they're afraid to share information especially in talking to some of the older guys that um, that like to go out and because they're retired they can go out a lot more and and uh, those are the guys that you know that those of us who are, aren't retired yet and uh, you know can only go out on the weekends we rely on other people's observations and and we can extrapolate from that. But if they're afraid that they're going to get accosted by the local shop or by another, another recreationalist for posting something on the mountain information network, they won't do it. I just, you know, I try to advocate to the people that I ski with, you know, don't be ashamed to share that information, you know, and just, yeah. And if like, I'm a strong enough personality that I can, I can speak to where I put the pin on the map and I'm not going to let it bug me, you know, and some people may not have that, but, you know, but still do it. It's important information for our core group in this area. And, and, you know, a lot of us know each other. And if we don't, if we run into each other, we'll know each other after that because, you know, it's not a, if they're staying out at that cabin, we're all staying in there. So you get to know these people whether they like it or not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it, it, that's kind of what, what we strive for. There's definitely still that core group that's, that kind of holds their cards close to their chest, but we try to work with them too, right? Like, and, and just all try to coexist and just have fun and, and stay safe, most importantly. That's, I think, the biggest thing. So this whole idea of scarcity, um, the whole social issue around around that, and then around what you were speaking of of choosing your partners and having to having to tell people like, no, I'm I'm sorry, I I don't want to ski with you. Like it's a hit to somebody's ego, and uh, and that's a tough decision to make. And and uh, you know the the day that that happened, it it happened on the ridge, like we were skinning over to somewhere and. Yeah, you know the other guy we with maybe they, he thought we were going to come to blows because we were just i was like i don't agree with you at all 100 percent, i don't agree with you and you know and the decision was you know when i was asked well how are we going to solve this i said well, well we'll just never ski together again <laughs> problem solved dude you know where we are <clears throat> we've had um you know had a few a few incidents over the years and luckily for us knock on wood we haven't had any um, fatalities in our community, but we've definitely had some burials. Um, not in, in our core group of friends, but a couple of years ago in the one area that we do ski here, you know, one of the doctors in town got himself buried. And when we looked at, when I looked at the report on Avalanche, on the uh, Avalanche Association page, and then went out and ski toured 
the next year and looked up at that area and remembered what the story was and remembering what the snowpack was. I just, you think you're like, why would they think that was a good approach to get across? Like why, like what, what went through their mind that day that that was the right route. Mm-hmm. And you're just, you know, years ago when I lived in the other community, Quinnell, there's a, there's a, a ski cabin that we go to that's, that's quite a push in and it's to get in there is quite exposed. And, and this couple called me from out of town, they got my phone number and they wanted to know the route. And I told them there was another route where you could walk way around and it's like an eight hour walk in through the Creek, but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to do the up and over with that we do. And, uh, I just told them basically point blank that I, I won't, like I'm not trying to be protective of my area, but I don't know who you are. I don't, I don't know your skill level and I'm not comfortable giving you the beta to get up there in case something happens. I don't want to feel responsible, you know, for, for that type of thing. And then, you know, I'm in, I'm glad I didn't, they changed their mind on where they were going. And that weekend they got their dog buried at the other place they went. Hmm. and uh, luckily they actually found the dog the next day and it was alive <laughs> no way spent the yeah. night under the snow spent the night under snow holy shit they, they dug it out the next day alive that's crazy and, and you know when i when i heard that story i felt good about my choice right like i felt good that i you know i made the choice to not give them the information to get in there because that was one of the years where a lot of times here, we can't even get up into the Alpine. It's so volatile, and any of the approaches to get up in there are so exposed that it's just not worth the risk hmm. when there's perfectly good tree skiing, pillow skiing to be had. You know, so but, save, uh, save it for the spring. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Or yeah, save it for the spring, or save it for next season. Like the mountains aren't going anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, it's in, it's it's interesting you kind of bring that up because, um, I mean, that was the old mentality, right? You don't go into the Alpine in February. You don't go ski these big lines, ride these big lines in midwinter, you know? Like, yeah, you, you, 20 years ago, people would be like, what are you doing, you know? like, And now it's, like, commonplace. And, and I feel like what's fueling that is, like, well, greater access to information is allowing us to hopefully have better, at least a better idea of what's going on before we get there. But also social yeah. media is pushing people into areas, you know, because somebody did it, somebody else is going to try to do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and everybody wants to be like, have that epic picture or that you know, the, the glory of, you know, I skied that line. And, and I can't say that I haven't been a victim to that myself, right? And then, you know, in hindsight, it's definitely some lines that I've skied, you know, one in particular out towards the area that I, I don't think I'll ever ski that line ever again. And, uh, you know, I did do it in the spring, but it was still... You know, the consequences of making a mistake in there were huge. And, uh, you know, you're just like, whew, all for what? So I could make a YouTube video. 
<laughs> so I could say I skied it, right? Which is sometimes worth it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it felt good to ski it. You yeah. Know? It was a good experience. And, you know, and now it's, you know, I, a couple of years ago, a couple of seasons ago now, we were standing above this line with my regular group of ski buddies and the snow was so good and just didn't have a good feeling. And I just didn't, you know, didn't feel good. And my buddy Dave says to me, he's like, man, what, this isn't the West I know. Like, I, like, how come you're not just dropping it? I'm like, I don't know, man. Just, he's like, well, there's nothing wrong. Like the snowpack is good. And I'm like, yeah, it's just not feeling right. Something's not feeling right. And he's like, oh man, you're, you've changed. <laughs> and I think, you know, having kids and, and uh, you know, I was talking to my workmate about it today. And it, it seems like when your kids turn one, that's when, for a lot of us, I think there's a bit of a change. You know, before that, you don't really have the the realization of responsibility hasn't quite sunk in yet until that first year <laughs> is up. And then you're like, oh, right, I'm like, I'm responsible for this human and I'm responsible for not leaving my wife with sole responsibility. <laughs> so it's about making good choices, you know, after that, you know, and, and I don't know if it was on your podcast or if it was on a different one, or if it was when I was on like talking to one of the guides, but you know, one of the things that, we talked about was like for a while there I almost felt like the attitude was it was like a badge of honor to like trigger an avalanche or have skied out of one and then you know as I did talk to more people about it and they're like I've never been in one like and that's the goal that I never am gonna be in one and you're like you know that's that's the idea that I want to take moving forward <laughs> And, you know, when, when COVID hit and, and um, you know, some friends of mine, you know, I was out, I started running instead of skiing or whatever, because mountain biking wasn't quite on yet. But uh, my buddy called me, he's like, we're loading up, we're going on Friday, you want to come? And I was like, no, I'm good. Like, and I'm not so much worried about the social distancing thing. It's that, you know, I got to drive on the highway and to get to where I'm going. And then when we're skiing, I mean... You know, those days that I've been involved in an avalanche incident, I didn't wake up that morning and be like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to ski out of an avalanche. You know, I didn't wake up with that thought. So, you know, that's that's sort of why I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to take the chance, you know. And uh, there was other things that were weighing heavy too. We, I, we'd lost a coworker in a motor vehicle accident, like in a couple of weeks prior to that on that same stretch of highway and so you're like you know it happens quick you know and we don't want to be putting anybody at risk you know emergency workers and stuff like that but but yeah like everybody's like we're gonna take it easy we're gonna take it easy in the backcountry and sometimes i was like i've skied with you guys before <laughs> you know and i know what it gets like if the skiing's really good and how hard it can be to, you know, keep keep it in in check. 
you know, and even you know, right before this happened, I, my wife and I were at one of the places where we like to ski and she was feeling under the weather. So she stayed, you know, back at the cabin. I went out and was skiing these lines and just in the trees, but there's just every one of the pillows and cliff drops was going off and I couldn't stop myself. And then near the end of the day, I started getting a bit sloppy. And then I was uh, walking back. You start thinking back and being like, you know, I'm by myself and, you know, I'm dropping cliffs in the trees, <laughs> you know, hitting pillow drops in the trees. Like things could go wrong for me and I'm by myself, you know, and I'm, it's like, it's kind of irresponsible. It sure was fun though. Yeah. But right. it's hard to dial it back. Well, Wes, it's been great chatting with you. And yeah, right on, man. Well, you enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Yeah, you too. Stay well and uh, all the best to the family. Yeah, thanks, man. You too. All cheers. right, cheers. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Wes and hearing about some of his reflections on his experiences in the backcountry. I'm sure many people are aware of this now, but just wanted to make sure that I made mention of um, some of the issues that have been found with the Peeps Beacons, the Peeps DSP and the Peeps DSP Pro Beacons. Um, If you have one of these beacons, you need to make sure that it is a unaffected beacon and if it is affected um, you need to send that in to Black Diamond and Peeps and they'll take a look at it if they deem that um, it needs replacement they'll replace it if it is an older beacon in question and they don't feel like they need to replace it they will give you the option to upgrade your beacon at pretty darn good um, upgrade pricing so that's how they're dealing with with this potential issue of those beacons if you want to find out more there's a link in the show notes to avalanchebeaconreviews.com and that link should take you right to the page that Steve has put together on there about the Peeps DSP power switch issue so lots of good information there that Steve wrote up um, as well as check out the rest of his website's really great um, resource on avalanche transceivers so check that out and of course a big thanks to the sponsors of the show MND Safety, 10 Barrel Brewing and Interwest Insurance go ahead and give MND Safety a follow on the Instagram they are at TAS by MND and you'll be able to see some awesome pictures of Gazex and Obelex installations in their natural environments Certainly more of those remote avalanche control systems going in worldwide. I know you've got a lot of choices in your beer selection out there these days, but I'm just asking you to support the company that supports this podcast by choosing 10 Barrel Beer. To hear why these folks are so awesome to be partnered up with, check out their podcast, Fully Aligned. You can find that wherever podcasts can be found. This week they had 10 Barrel Skier Lucas Walks on the show. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm stoked to. However, I have seen Lucas's recent segment in the Matchstick Productions new film, Huck Yeah, 
and it is awesome. Lucas, you're on fire, bud. Keep crushing it. And, oh, man, I think watching this segment just really got me excited to go skiing. So check that out. I'll also link that into the show notes. Most of this season's snow and avalanche workshops are wrapping up this week. Um, There's certainly a lot of online content these days, great talks that you can check out at your leisure if you have registered for these snow and avalanche workshops. Um, I know some of them are maybe leaving the registration open a little bit longer. So if you if you haven't registered but would like to access the content, perhaps you can go back and do that. There's a pretty exhaustive list of all of those events that happen on A3's website, American Avalanche Association. Org. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. We are at the Avalanche Hour Podcast. If you're not into that whole social media thing, or even if you are, maybe a better way to, to spread the word of this podcast is just to tell a friend. So tell a friend if you're enjoying the podcast, get them hooked on it, and let's create a stronger, larger community here. If you want to go above and beyond that, of course, it would be great to get you to write a review on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Our artwork, of course, was created by the man himself, Mr. Mike T. For any of your graphic design artwork needs, you need to go check out Mike T. Check him out at www.miketea.com. Music today was provided by Grammatic with In My City at the beginning of the hour followed up by My Tribe by Ketza and taking us out of the hour was Skankin' Easy Dub by Sholin Dub use of these tracks are provided through the permission of the artist with the first major storm of the winter season barreling through the doorstep of the Pacific Northwest. I hope you got snow wherever you are, and I hope you're out recreating in it this weekend in a safe fashion, getting to know the players within the snowpack. It's happening, people. It's back. Winter is here, our favorite time of year. And we'll be back with you in a couple weeks, bringing you the next episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there. Cheers. Cheers.